Welcome to the podcast of the Pilates Alliance of Australasia. The PAA strives to continue promoting the expansion of the Pilates method as a professional and valued healthcare and fitness discipline. The goal of the PAA podcast is to explore the many facets and layers of the Pilates industry through conversations with the community. I'm your host, Bruce Hildebrand. Welcome to the show. In the early stages of the podcast for the Pilates Alliance of Australasia, we wanted to lay down some foundation information. So to do that, we have a special guest today, Sharon Simmons, the president of the Pilates Alliance of Australasia. There's a lot happening in the Pilates industry, and as the president of the PAA, we thought there's no better person to talk through some of these key issues that the PAA is addressing at the moment. Sharon, in her role as president, comes with a diverse background in both education and professional experience as a Pilates teacher for 18 years, a studio owner, studio manager, student and graduate mentor, a committee member for the PAA for over nine years, including on the executive, education and conference organising subcommittees. Hi, Bruce. Sharon, we'll start with the question of education and the standards that the PAA aims to uphold for the good of the industry. The thing that we've been looking at is how we try to get everybody on the same page and create some consistency. We've been working with education providers to have a set skill set for Pilates across accredited training. So take the courses that we've already got, what's the common denominator, so that the standards are across all of those courses. And then more broadly, they then apply to other new courses seeking PAA recognition or for providing the standards and feedback for new courses that are looking to get ASQA approval. I'd imagine, Sharon, that this education focus is the most important starting point of communicating what the career pathway options are for Pilates instructors, which makes it more clear for the public who participate in Pilates because they're getting a clearer message of what to expect from the different types of Pilates available in the marketplace. We've been looking at how we can build the association to represent more people and people along the journey as they start in the industry. People might come in and do a short course or a mat course, and then we want to be able to support them to be comprehensive, to have diploma as your end goal, to be trained in all the different equipment and have diploma so that your scope of practice is broadened, that your employment opportunities are expanded so that you can work in a whole lot of different environments or find Mm. the environment that you want to work in and specialise. So if I catastrophize for a moment, Sharon, and this comes with the full consideration that Pilates inside the fitness sector is currently not a regulated industry, if the PAA doesn't exist and doesn't have those conversations and doesn't uphold any of the benchmarks by which to operate, would it be fair to say that there would be a steady decline in what the public can expect from Pilates? At the moment, anybody can start a training course. A lot of people are starting our business and then going, we can't get staff. So the way to get staff is to train your own staff. So a lot of people are starting off there and then going, okay, now we can train staff for other people. People are interested in doing it. And so it's really started there, I feel. Or they're going, we're not finding what we want or we want just a specific skill set. They don't need to have everything. We just want a specific skill set for our business. But that means more broadly, that's the only place you can work. And we're looking to have standards so that you can work across the industry. Because it seems, Sharon, that the endeavour of opening a Pilates studio could seem like a good idea, perhaps as a one-off event. But the reality of maintaining the level of consistency in staff is one of the ongoing concerns of many business owners in the industry. I think that's being played out at the moment. It seems like people are struggling with getting staff. 
or getting staff that say they have skills but they don't have the skills that are needed. It's a very cottage industry way of doing stuff. PAA's interest has always been to bring that up to the level of a professional so that there are standards, there are established skill sets and requirements. And I think taking it into diploma, that was the beginning of how to get your standard in education and have it recognised. I think that the industry is still Mm. in the phase of that's not necessary, we can just do as we want. And that follows from where fitness was a long time ago. Fitness was a whole lot of people just doing whatever they wanted and with no set skill set. So I think that as you get bigger employers across the industry, you're then needing to have more consistency in your standards and level of education. So I feel like that's where we want to continue that consistency and the high standard and the recognition of a course so that an employer knows what skill set they're getting. And I think you mentioned earlier, Sharon, about how the maturity and the emergence of Pilates is really coming into its own as a profession and how other modalities are certainly complementary, but at the same time, very different to those of Pilates practitioners. Is that what you're talking about with the PAA really advocating that the diploma level of Pilates training needs to be the industry standard for everyone to aim for? Whether people that are coming from different areas, whether that be physio, fitness or yoga that they need to be able to do a standalone course, a full course, a full training to be at that same level and not accept just professional development as an add-on for Pilates because they're certainly then at very different levels of skill. Pilates is a profession in itself. If you want longevity in the industry, you need that fuller, more broad skill set because if you just learn one thing, whether that's group reform or whether that's just map, it's limiting to how you can progress within the industry. Can you give us a bit of context, Sharon, as to how far back you seeing that divergence happening where businesses needed staff and then they set up their own little apprenticeship and then they started to develop a bit of momentum? I think once they started to be franchises, that's where it really became highlighted because they started to say they could do their own training. That's expanded it very quickly because of the franchise model. I feel like otherwise it was just small studios. Somebody might have been trained and then they would train their own staff. But if you're doing that and they're just working for you and they're only working part-time, it doesn't have a big impact on the industry. But when you've got whole franchises started to do their own training, they just multiply it. So as they grow, it's very quickly taking it out of that small one or two or five or ten into this multiples. My reckoning, Sharon, has always been that learning to teach Pilates is is a bit of a slow burn and it takes time to develop skills to be effective as a teacher. But this is potentially quite the polar opposite of the objectives of a franchise model of Pilates, particularly seeing the astronomical growth of some of the Pilates franchise businesses here in Australia. And I guess to be able to grow at the rapid rate, these businesses are either investing very heavily in, as you say, Sharon, in-house training and really setting it up for their staff to be excellent teachers to uphold their brand or potentially doing the absolute bare minimum to get the staff trained up, managing the churn and burn of instructors and instead pouring resources into sales and marketing so that the business model can withstand the inevitable turnover of staff who only learn one system of Pilates. So Sharon, do you think it's the rapid growth of Pilates that's the very same thing that is contributing to the increasing inconsistencies that consumers are receiving in classes? In which case, I feel it's even more important that the PAA continues the advocacy and public education work that is happening in this way. And as you mentioned earlier, in the game of strength in numbers, when advocating, 
communicating and a more consistent message with alignment between all Pilates stakeholders. It seems really critical for the longevity of the industry. Otherwise, I see any semblance of standards in the industry being completely decimated. Because at the moment, it's like every person for themselves grabbing whatever market share they can with very little accountability for what's going to be the messaging in the industry. And sadly, I think this results in a race to the bottom where Pilates becomes a commodity where everyone competes only on price and those with the deepest pockets for marketing eventually win out. Yes, our members are trying to make a living. We need to have the standards and the longevity so that you can get consumer confidence in what we do. And I think that's the thing about courses that aren't recognised or aren't complete and don't meet PA standards. Then there is no consistency. The consumer doesn't know what they're getting. A fitness-based class can still say it's Pilates, but so is a rehab-based class and so is an athletic training-based class. So that's the hardest differentiator for the public. And so that was the driver for the PAA recently revising the membership level frameworks, along with the upholding of the interests of the education providers associated with the PAA? Yes, to help people on their journey. If they start out with a a certificate mat work or might be doing part of your reform course, you want to build on that so that you've got a pathway to expand your career. We want to build into that and help people navigate that professional pathway and show them where to get more training, what's the accredited training, how to progress along that pathway and even how to specialise so that they can then find their own niche of clients that they work well with or find a business model that suits their skill. Can you tell us more about the ongoing consultation, Sharon, with key stakeholders in the industry to make sure that the actions of the PAA are heading in the right direction for the benefit of everyone involved and that the education providers affiliated with the PAA are regularly giving feedback? The education bodies were really challenging us on what we were accepting as education. They saw that we should be more strongly standing up for accredited education and for accredited education only, not to recognise any other training other than government accredited education. And that leads me, Sharon, into the question of your time in the PAA committee and indeed as president. What have been some of the main issues that the PAA has been addressing for the industry over that time? The ongoing challenge is taking us towards allied health because it's a long, slow process. It's small steps. It's not something you can just do. There are various pathways and depending on the political landscape, the political climate, even the social climate, it really does depend on which is going to be the most effective way to get there. And even with that is that not everybody wants to be there. We represent a really broad, diverse group of people, but trying to represent everybody and extend that understanding within the public. I'd imagine the challenge of serving the often conflicting needs of the various stakeholders across the membership of the PAA must have been exponentially difficult trying to help steer through the more recent COVID restrictions last year and ongoing, Sharon. The role of advocacy really was highlighted with COVID, but there had been advocacy going on before that about the health fund rebates. I met with the health minister to look at the education levels and there had been another natural therapies review so that we could move forward to have some sort of allied health recognition. I think people during COVID were very frustrated where our profession stood, but I didn't feel like that was so much criticism as an acceptance of where we are and people go, we shouldn't be. And getting in and being part of that conversation was our way to help government understand where we are. I feel like the conversations that we had 
with government gave them a better understanding of how we operate Mm. and therefore any flexibility or any restrictions, how big an impact they would have on us. In looking after our members during COVID, that was something that were part of the government level conversations across all of the states. We collaborated with other organisations and being part of those bigger discussions just helped us come up with other ways of doing things and strengthen numbers. I feel like the conversations that we've had are always advancing how we're viewed and where we stand within the industry and, and more broadly. To have a voice with government or to have a voice with the public and amongst employers, those things aren't a one-off thing. They're ongoing conversations. It's an ongoing building, stepping stone interaction rather than a one-off. And I think that's probably the biggest thing for everybody to understand. I think COVID made that more obvious, that we need to be this bigger cohesive force within the industry. What other advice can you share with us from your experience of having these sorts of conversations at government level over the years, Sharon? They don't listen to one person. You're lucky to get in with anybody. It needs to be coming from a lot of people. An association strength is in its numbers. So we need to represent a decent amount of people. If you're on your own, you go to your local MP and that may have some impact, but that's just in your local area. So the more that is a combined effort to represent more of the sector rather than a very small part of the sector, that's where they're looking. They want to make the biggest impact with who they talk to. And if we're not there, then who else is there? We want to be represented in this conversation as diploma qualified full PAA members with that full skill set. We don't want that diluted down to group instructors or to fitness instructors with some Pilates background. We want it to be the people that are comprehensively trained. Government doesn't see us as just Pilates instructors. We're part of a much bigger sector. We need to be more than just one person standing out. We need to be part of a bigger thing. And COVID really made that obvious that we were all subject to the same rules and guidelines as much as we didn't think we belonged there. That wasn't the time to be able to change that. The government was definitely, this is where you sit, this is the guidelines, this is your category, however that came about. That is just where you are and this is what you need to abide by. I think you just nailed it on the head there, Sharon. You've just talked about two key things beautifully, one being the cottage industry, feather my own nest, look after my own little training mindset. And then when stuff hits the fan, yes, you still exist on your own, but the strength is in the collective and therefore where are you now and how do you expect to have any government level voice with any bigger conversations when you're just wanting to exist on your own? So it seems like a rock in a hard place or wanting to have your cake and eating it at the same time. I feel like when times are good, you don't see the need. There isn't because until then, your advocacy was we see ourselves as part of allied health as a diploma qualified instructor with that comprehensive background. You see yourself as being able to provide services in the health realm and you come to COVID and then they say you don't fit there because you're not registered in that category. Occupation code is not that. So there's all of those things that until then wasn't a big issue. They were background things, but they didn't directly impact on how we did our work. And I think that's the thing. You never quite know what's going to tip over the edge. And that's why there's never one way to get there because each different scenario has a different dependency on certain things. So I feel like it's to try to bring everybody along with us so that, like you said, the trickle down of PLOMA, we're trying to also bring that level of professional development up higher and what the fitness industry is expecting to do in Pilates. We want to help them bring that level higher so that everybody's getting better Pilates and then have that standard of recognised training. 
So in many ways, Sharon, the global pandemic has really expedited the need for the Politis industry to pull together and collectively contribute to the advocacy work that is required to have Pilates make its way towards becoming an essential service. Is that the way you see it? People are trying as a business to satisfy their business needs, but more broadly in the industry, as we've seen over COVID, that big sectors, we can all be hit. It's about all of us. It's not about us individually or how our business does. It's about what happens within the sector and pulling together to make a statement about that. That's where I think aligning with other organisations and listening to where other organisations are and being part of the conversations across fitness and across sport and rec. There are things that are the same and then there are things that are different and there is consistency across this. The government are not looking at us as individuals. They're going, here is a whole area and then how do we deal with this bigger group? They want one solution that will cover everything just purely because it it is such a big thing. Even if you looked at how many different sectors the government was looking at, there were so many different sectors that they were meeting with. In this environment, I suppose the biggest question is how do we position Pilates, movement and exercise in the health realm to be classed as an essential service so that for people's mental health and keep people moving so that they're able to look after themselves, that self-care, mental health activity is a lot of what gets people through. As a preventative health measure, I'm looking more broadly that Pilates is part of a sector that does that and there's areas that we can collaborate with that also have a desire to help people and to help their mental health and keep them moving, particularly currently. That's where there is some benefit in being part of a collective there are other modalities that do that and I think that there is some commonalities across them of promoting movement for your mental health physical health rehabilitation fitness the broad scope of what Pilates can do for people because Pilates is really just one type of movement thanks for your time on the call today Sharon it's been wonderful to gain a deeper insight into the things that go on at the executive level of the PAA committee I'm sure I'm not alone in saying keep up the great work and thank you for your commitment to the ongoing progress and development of where the Pilates industry is headed here in Australia we look forward to chatting with you again on future episodes of the podcast thanks Bruce There is a membership category for every Pilates enthusiast, where the Alliance provides a wide range of information, resources and support for everything you want to know more of with Pilates. Help us expand the message of the PAA by sharing with your network of friends and colleagues today so that the Pilates community can continue to be a vibrant and inspiring network for everyone's benefit. You can become a member today by visiting the links in the show notes. For existing members, join us on the PAA Member Forum Facebook page where you'll find an ongoing supply of resources and conversations to continue supporting you and your participation and involvement in the many levels of Pilates here in Australia. The Pilates Alliance Australasia only exists because of the contributions of the Pilates community. If there's a topic or a conversation you would love to share on the podcast, then we'd love to hear from you. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Pilates Alliance podcast. Please leave your comments on the Pilates Alliance Members Forum Facebook page. Remember, for anyone who is yet to become a member, we'd love to have you put your voice forward for the benefit of progressing Pilates here in Australia.